Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Lord, we are grateful to be here together. We're grateful for your love and your compassion for us and for the whole world. Lord, you call us to a different way, a kingdom way, an upside-down way that goes against this world system and the empire. And we confess that it is hard. It's very easy to go along with the flow and the flesh. And it's very hard to follow after you and your kingdom and the way of your kingdom. We need your Holy Spirit to help us as individuals and as a community to live in a different way. And as we go through this series of what it looks like to let our citizenship be from your kingdom and not tied into the nation, the state, the government, partisan politics. So much of our identity can be wrapped up in those things. And Lord, you call us to a new way. You call us to a new identity. And so, Lord, as we walk through this so crucial, so central to life as followers of Jesus, this sermon, may we have wisdom. May we have strength. May we have your spirit to show us how to live out this kingdom life in the midst of this world system and the empire. So speak to us, Lord, we pray, through your word, through our conversation with each other, so that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in your name. Amen. So good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody. We are kicking off a series called Citizen, and it's a word that you have heard, but it's like one of those words that you're like, well, I think I know what it means, maybe. And so just so we're kind of off on the same foot, I found this definition. It's a member of a state or nation, especially one with a Republican form of government, who owes allegiance to it by birth or naturalization and is entitled to full civil rights. So, the question then becomes, if that's the definition of a citizen, and we are called to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, then what does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom? If, we, if a citizen owes allegiance to a certain nation or state, then what does it mean to owe allegiance to Jesus and the kingdom over, above all other allegiances. Because from where I sit, I don't think you can have two allegiances. And Jesus, I believe, demands our full allegiance above all other citizenships. Not that you can't be a citizen of a country or a nation or a state, but if they come into conflict, and they do, 
Our citizenship in the kingdom of God takes priority, takes precedent over all other citizenships. And where in the world do we go in the scriptures to figure out what it looks like to live out our citizenship? And I'm sure I'll quote this text over and over and over again. But Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. And no, as, and if you've been here before, you know we're not talking about another place and another time and a disembodied reality that you go to when you die. Paul was no saying, what does it look like to be a citizen of the kingdom in the here and the now and our values are the values of if, if heaven dropped down and touched planet Earth. That's what it means to be a citizen. And so over the next few months, we're going to take a deep, deep, deep dive. So we are literally starting now and we're going to November. This is how deep we're going. It's a, it is a slow slog through what I find to be probably the most influential, most central teaching of Jesus, and therefore, I believe, crucial to followers of Jesus to live their life based on the Sermon on the Mount. I don't, I don't think that one text is more important than another, but if I were to, to do a mountain, I would say, you know, you have your Old Testament, which builds on your New Testament, and that the pinnacle is the Sermon on the Mount. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? That's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And so this, in Matthew 5 to 7, this is where the Sermon on the Mount, Dallas Willard um, says that the Sermon on the Mount is illustrations of the blessings of living under God's rule. Living under God's rule. Meaning, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. And as citizens, we live under his rule and his reign. Because he's king. He's Lord over all. He's king over all. And so we live under the rule and reign of King Jesus as citizens of this kingdom. And that's where we're going. For the next four months. I'm not, math. I'm not a good math. That's why I got into pastoring. I'm not good at math. I think it's four. Today's seven, eleven. Yeah, four months. And so where do we start? Well, let's start where Jesus started, right? At the very beginning, Matthew 5, 1 to 12. So, you know, if you have, this is, this is called an old school book. You know, maybe you have that. But more than likely, you probably have something like this with a Bible on it. Matthew 5, 1 to 12. This is where Jesus kicks off the Sermon on the Mount with a passage about the Beatitudes. And this is what, he, this is what happens. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So hopefully you read this, you hear this, and you go, Jesus, everything and everyone you said is blessed doesn't make any sense. The meek, the mourning, the peacemakers, the persecuted, that doesn't make any sense. How in the world are they blessed? Well, did you also notice that when he says these things, he talks about the kingdom of heaven. And if you understand kind of what I went alluded to earlier, that we're not talking about another place, another time. It's not, okay, the poor in spirit are blessed when they die. The meek are blessed when they die and stand in heaven with God. Jesus about Matthew, when he writes it, he's talking about heaven, this idea that heaven and earth overlap and interlock, and the way of the heaven crushing and crashing down on planet earth, and it's the rule and reign of King Jesus is heaven. And so that impacts right now. And so he's saying it's about the here and now, the way of heaven, love, grace, compassion, mercy, forgiveness. Love, touching here. And so the, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes are how do we live in the present and make most sense of what God calls blessed? Is we basically go, okay, so if heaven is a place where there's no hunger, then don't we live in the present knowing that is the future and we should live that now? And there should be, we should work against hunger. If there is no racism in the future, in God's good future, why is there now? And those of us who follow the way of Jesus should say, no, it should not be like that now. You work with the future in mind. And so what does it look like to be a citizen of this kingdom according to the Beatitudes? According to the way... Of the kingdom. We see Jesus answering and defining for us what a kingdom citizen looks like and lives like. The question becomes he's trying to answer is this what is the good life? What is the blessed life? And I don't know about you, but we all have answers to that question, right? We all have an answer. Our world has an answer. We think, okay, we are blessed if this, we're blessed if that. But what we see is God's definition of the blessed life is so radically different, right? Because the world system, the empire, defines it a certain way, but God defines it in and through Jesus and this upside-down way of existence. Or, I like to say, it's probably more right side up. It's the way things should be. But they aren't. 
It's a reversal. All these blessedness are reversals of fortune, of, of flipping it upside down. And so you read in the Old Testament, you read Hannah's prayer. And then in the New Testament, you read the prayer, the Magnificat, Mary's prayer. And you notice it's all this upside down flipped. It's not the rich who are blessed. It's the poor. It's not the ones who are doing the persecuting who are blessed. It's the ones who are persecuted. It's a reversal of fortune. One commentator says the Beatitudes are a deeply subversive text in the American context where the word blessed is often associated with and hijacked by the wealthy, the healthy, and the most powerful. Jesus clarifies this precisely the poor, the sick, the meek are entitled to blessings of the new kingdom. So let's do a little experiment, shall we? What is the blessed life according to our world system? So, we'll just pretend some of you have social media, some of you do not. But there always seems to be this hashtag, right? Blessed. So, if you were to pull up your social media account, throw out some things that it was like, blah, 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 hashtag blessed. Fill in the blah, blah, blah. Like, what, how do people define in our world that idea? So just throw out some stuff. Monday coffee. Blessed. Monday, co- Monday coffee? Or coffee every day? Depends on how blessed you want to be, I guess. All right. Coffee. I'm not on social media. That's the best Hashtag blessed. Okay. What else? Family. Family. Blessed. Vacation. Vacation. Yeah. Lots of money. Ease, comfort. E- Ooh, ease and comfort. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. Uh, Just about to buy a house. Ah, yes. I've got the best spouse ever. Uh, <laughs> bigger is always better. Bigger is always better. Success. Ah, success. Defined by. What's the poster? Uh, <laughs> ah, right, right. Okay, what else? I kind of big fish. Yes. We wouldn't know anybody who probably would post that, do we? <laughs> no, they might have, might have, might have done that. See, right here in the picture. No. No. I, I think what we get is this idea we come face to face and smack in that our values and our ideas of what the good life crashes into what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. That we may not have the same definition of the good life that Jesus does. Can you say, could, can you imagine Jesus on the cross, hashtag, like, like somehow have Twitter and somehow had his hands free and he just says, dying for you, blessed. That, that doesn't make sense to you and I. And so in this gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus, he, he comes, it's really crazy, he comes out of Egypt, right? He was, he was born and then his, his earthly father takes his mother and the family to Egypt to escape persecution and they come back 
out of Egypt. And then they come through the water and the wilderness and into the land of promise. Does that strike any familiar chords? It should. It's the story of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Coming out of Egypt from enslavement. Coming through the Red Sea and the wilderness and into the promised land. And we see as they do that in Deuteronomy, we actually find Old Testament beatitudes. And so there's this thread that Jesus is enacting the people of Israel in his own self. And he begins the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes about the blessed life from a kingdom of God perspective and to be a citizen. Think of it as his inauguration as king. His inauguration speech. You know, he's before everybody and he says, this is what it looks like when I'm your king. This is what it looks like when the kingdom becomes a reality and you as a kingdom community, this is what it looks like to live together in the way of Jesus and the kingdom. And so he starts off, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Dallas Willard in the divine conspiracy, which aside, if you ever have a chance to read divine conspiracy, it is well worth your time. And he might be, he might be a, a familiar quote throughout this series. So you may either get tired of hearing the name or you just go, fine, I'll read the book. He says this, Blessed are the spiritual zeros, the spiritually bankrupt, deprived and deficient, the spirit beggars, those without a wisp of religion when the kingdom of heaven comes upon them. In the Luke version, it says, blessed are the poor. So whether Jesus is talking here about the spiritually poor or the materially poor, what he's getting at is the idea of someone who knows their need, who doesn't have it all figured out. Who doesn't say, I got this, Jesus, and if I don't, I'll call you. And then when things don't work out, okay, Jesus, help me. But then leave me alone when I figure it out. It kind of reminds me of a teaching that Jesus told about a parable of a tax collector and a Pharisee. And the Pharisee goes in, they both go into the temple, and the Pharisee says, thank God I'm not like this one. He's not poor in spirit at all. But the tax collector beats on his breast and says, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed is the tax collector who's poor in spirit, who knows their need, knows they don't have it all together. So to be a citizen is to be like this tax collector and not like a Pharisee. To realize our need for forgiveness, our need for grace, our need for compassion. And we don't do anything to earn those things. They are God's good gifts to his people. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In first century, mourning was a daily reality. When you had people who didn't have enough food. When life expectancy after birth was low. And so many people lost wives and children in just something as common as birth. Food insecurity, war, famine. They understood. They lived this morning reality day in and day out. And you and I, we live in a world that denies that death is a reality. Just go get your face done. Go get this, do this. Youth, we are all living out this youth. And we avoid the idea that death is a reality. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn. Do you, when, think about your own life when you've mourned. Do you feel like you're blessed? Probably not. But Jesus is saying, when you suffer, when you struggle, when you go, I, I don't know where my next meal is coming for, from, in some way, and I am not the one who should even be talking about this. Jesus is near the brokenhearted. Jesus walks with those who suffer and mourn and cry. I don't understand it, but I've talked to people who have suffered. And they say, Jesus was walking with me. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to make it. So blessed are those who mourn because God is present. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the world. Talk about upside down. In our world, it's blessed are the powerful. Blessed are the violent. Blessed are those who just say, go attack them and destroy them. Because how else are you going to take over the world, right? You can't do it through meekness. You're just going to get crushed. You're just going to get stepped on. Well, the question is, what does the word meek even mean? I think too often our world thinks, hey, they're just going to get stepped on. To be meek, you're just going to get trampled on, and you're just going to let yourself be a doormat. Actually, the meek is the Greek word prowess. One commentator said the term is a military term referring, referring to a horse. Wild stallions were brought down from the mountains and trained, and depending on their temperament, some were used for pulling carts, others for racing, but the best of the best, however, were trained for war. They retained their fierce spirit, courage, and power, but were disciplined to respond to the slightest nudge or pressure on the rider's leg. They could gallop into battle and come to a sliding stop at a word. They were not frightened by arrows, spears, or torches. Then they were said to have beat to be meat. It, meekness is strength under control. As followers of Jesus, our strength is under the Spirit's control. When you're meek, you are not a doormat. But you have strength under control. So blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled what hunger and thirst do you have? And I don't just mean to go home 
and consume food. But what desires, what longings do you have? Do you long for recognition? Do you long for safety? Do you long for security? Do you long for more stuff? More time to do what you want? Or do you hunger and thirst after Jesus and his kingdom? When you read scripture, does it just feel like, I just got a little taste, I need more? All the other things that people hunger and thirst leave us empty and unfulfilled. C.S. Lewis talks about a, a, which he stole apparently from Baze Pascal, this idea that we all have a God-shaped hole or a God-shaped vacuum that we try to stuff things in and it doesn't quite fit. If you remember uh, from maybe your childhood, there was a triangle and a circle and a square and there were blocks that either fit and, and I'd be like, eh, square into a circle and it wouldn't fit. I'd, I'd make it, I'd, you know, take a hammer and nail it in there, but then it would not come out and my mother would get mad. We have that hole that only Jesus can fill, only can, can, can take over that hunger and thirst. Citizens of God people are hunger and thirsting after Jesus to, to know him, to live like him, to love him, and to be about the things that he's about. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. They will be filled when they hunger and thirst after Jesus. Blessed are the merciful, but they will be shown mercy. Again, this is another one that if you show mercy in a world, you're weak. You shouldn't show mercy. Unless you're on the other end of it and you're desiring mercy, right? Like, I don't want to show up, but boy, if I'm on the other, if I'm under somebody, please show me mercy. Citizens of God's kingdom, we are called to be like the king of this kingdom. And Jesus was so merciful to all, to us, to all. And since we've been shown mercy, God then says, go and do likewise to show others. Jesus has shown us so much mercy. We don't even think about, we woke up this morning. That's God's hand of mercy upon us. And when we show it, when we've been shown it, he just says, now go and show it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God one of my favorite translations, and we're going to read it together at the end of our time, is this translation of the Beatitudes written by a man by the name of Brian Zond. And he translates it this way. Blessed are those who have a clean window in their soul, for they will perceive God when and where others don't. The question, what sins, what brokenness, what things get in the way cloud your vision from seeing Jesus what, how do you need Jesus to come and clean the window of your soul so that you can see him and then you can see those who are created in God's image the way that he does? And in case you're wondering, those who bear God's image is everyone you will ever, 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 ever meet. There is no one that is not an image bearer of the divine. 
And so we are people who need to repent of the things that blind us from the way of the kingdom. We need God to come down and clean our windows, the great window washer to our soul. One of my favorite metaphors is this. uh, It was written by Michael Frost, who is an author, and he says, imagine, and it's pretty fanciful. He says, imagine you go into a a derelict house, and you go up and you, you have a friend, and you go up into this derelict house, and I have no idea why you're in a derelict house. You know, it's been, it's empty, it's been squatted in, it's like filled of like smoke and, and, and like soot and grime and everything. You go up into this room and there's one window and it is covered with soot and grime and dirt. And through this one window, outside the most beautiful sunrise is taking place. And your friend, who has never seen a sunrise before, again, fanciful. So what do you do? Well, you can tell them. Here's what, the, you know, it's, it's turning red and the treetops look like they're on fire and you can describe it or you can do the best that you can and clean the only window so that they can see the sunrise. What do you need Jesus to do in your life to clean your window so that you can see him? And see others, so that you can be pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they be called children of God. He's that standard bearer. That he calls us to this idea of living a life of peace, of shalom. That means between God and and humanity, within my own life, within our relationship between humanity and all of creation. That is what shalom is. He calls us to not only experience it, but work to make it a reality in our world. A world that peace is a good dream, but so often lacking. That we are supposed to look like our Father. We are supposed to work for the reconciliation of others. Blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, it comes back to following Jesus, the king of the kingdom. He was, per- he was persecuted because of righteousness. And if we look, love, serve, and live like him, we will come under the fire of the empire and the world. We will be persecuted. I don't know about you, but I have heard people say, look, I'm being persecuted. And sometimes I just want to say, look, you're being persecuted because you're a jerk. Not because you look like Jesus. Like, don't confuse the two. Right? Hashtag blessed. We've all heard it. If we confront oppression, if we confront injustice, if we confront the powers and the principalities of this dark world, we will be taken to task by the evil one. And it may take your life. I mean, all we got to do is some history, and we realize those who confront the way of injustice have been taken down. You know the names. I won't even mention them. But you will face persecution. There's a lot more we could say. And when I was writing this, I was like, how am I going to take 12, like all those beatitudes and crush it into one? And I'm doing it injustice. We could have done 12 weeks. Or... 10 weeks, all on each one. But so what we're going to do for the next couple minutes is, is dialogue around these beatitudes, talk around your table, 
and see what it means to live out the way of the kingdom as a citizen. Amen.